Welcome to The Big Deal, where we'll unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi, Dion Heyman and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and more. Don't forget to sign up at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montessi, joined by AFL legend Warren Treadray. Welcome, Treaders. Monty, how are you? Good, mate. Now, we've got a topic that's right in your wheelhouse. We're talking about the prison bar Guernsey debate between Collingwood and Port in the AFL. Feels like it's been going on forever. Um, to be honest, it you know, on the surface, it gets a little bit boring. But when you dig deeper, there's actually a fair bit to it from a commercial perspective. I mean, over the years, Port's desire to wear its heritage prison bar Guernsey has drawn the ire of Collingwood, particularly former President Eddie Maguire. It's an AFL case study, that's for sure, but also highlights the importance and value of club brands, as well as their stories, which we're keen to unpack today. Now, Treaders, I thought maybe you could start us off you know, being the club legend that you are and uh, and then moving into the media and, and now examining the world of sports business. Can you give us the context? Where is this issue at today and um, and, and where's it all come from? Well, Monty, the, where it came from is both teams originally, Port Adelaide Football Club and the Sample and Collingwood Football Club and the VFL with the Magpies, they were black and white. So uh, vertical stripes for Collingwood, Port Adelaide vertical stripes, but it was effectively, they call it the prison bar jumper, which is uh, the terminology for the fans. It was sort of a horizontal stripe and then verticals off the down. So um, that was actually not a prison bar jumper. It was effectively the pylons for the Port Adelaide Wharf, which is the Port Adelaide Wharfy heritage, uh, heritage where uh, Port Adelaide is obviously in Alberton, based in that area, working class. So long story short, pre the AFL starting a Port Adelaide coming in in 1997 or trying to get in in 1990, a lot of Port Adelaide fans, if they had a soccer team, it was, uh, it was Adelaide City, black and white. If they had a VFL team, it was Collingwood, black and white. If they had an EPL team, it was Newcastle, black and white, Juventus, Italy. So they stuck with their colours. Collingwood fans are very similar. They uh, supported Port Adelaide if they had a team in the sample where they'd sort of just look on and look on at finals time. It was Port Adelaide and Collingwood in the winter. But obviously that changed a lot when Port Adelaide entered the AFL. They had to add teal to their colour to enter the AFL competition because Collingwood was already black and white. They had to remove the magpie. They went with the power logo. And uh, since then... Uh, it's been a little bit of a game tip for Tad. I understand Eddie Maguire, who is the long-time president of the Collingwood Football Club, uh, has pretty much uh, made this his uh, hill to die on in terms of protecting their IP, the Magpies' IP, the Collingwood Football Club's IP over that journey. And I can understand him doing that. But Port Adelaide is uh, also there's probably a, different areas of it. There's the area of the Port Adelaide Magpies fan who loves the prison bar jumper who think they should wear it forever. Um, there's also the Port Adelaide prison, uh, Port Adelaide supporter who understands her in the AFL and would love to recognise Port Adelaide's history and wearing that jumper, maybe in showdowns. Um, but it's been pretty much knocked on the head. The AFL's pushed through Gillan McLaughlin to get a bit of a deal done over the journey. The last deal that was done is 2007, uh, where Port Adelaide wore a magenta jumper, and I was playing at that time. I was captain. Um, and they'd signed an agreement with Collingwood that they'd get to wear the black and white Port Adelaide sample prison bar jumper uh, in the AFL in Heritage Round. 
Eddie revealed on uh, Channel 9 Footy Classified last year, he knew that Heritage Round wasn't going ahead, so he was happy to sign it. So it has been a tit for tat for ages. Uh, in the COVID year, I think it was 2020, Port Adelaide got to wear their jumper. They've worn it three or four times. I was lucky enough to wear it, I think, in 2003. Um, in that situation, in, uh, where fans had actually come out, that you know, commercially they'd buy it. Port Adelaide at that time weren't allowed to commercially sell sell that, but in COVID it was the highest selling. They went against the deal and sold. From my understanding, is sold nearly towards two million bucks worth of jumpers. So people bought bucket loads of them. Um, that number could be wrong, but I'm hearing it was at least you know a lot, a lot of jumpers they sold. Um, and clearly that was going to annoy the president uh, Eddie Maguire at the time. But it, my understanding was the highest selling jumper in COVID lockdown that there was, and probably helped. Port Adelaide stay afloat and the competition to a larger extent stay afloat in that area. Since then, Eddie's moved on from Collingwood or was moved on or he moved on, one of the two, whichever side you believe. Um, and Jeff Brown, a former AFL lawyer, um, TV executive at Nine, uh, board member at Nine, understands the, the business of sport, goes back, used to do, I think, one of the original Players Association agreements. He's now the president Former Premiership player at Collingwood, Craig Kelly, is now the new CEO. Former TLA Sports Management, before that was named Elite Sports Properties. Um, he understands this rivalry. He's an ex-South Australian State of Origin player at South Australia and a Norwood player, which is an arch rival to Port Adelaide uh, in the sample. So quite li- realistically, when this dropped last Saturday, I was like, what did Port Adelaide give up to get this done? Because no one ever played ball. Money had to change hands. Something had to be done. And I can pretty much reveal to you what that deal is, Monty. So let's let's talk about it, mate. What do you what do you know? Well, there is no cap on selling jumpers. That's big. So Collingwood has pretty much said, Port, you can sell that jumper. It's your jumper. It actually doesn't, my understanding, fit under the AFL's setup. And if I go briefly on that, mm-hmm. the AFL owns all trademarks, right? Owns all the colours, owns all the designs of the jumpers. So the clubs can beat on all they want. They own them as a sub-license back to the clubs, but the AFL controls it. So even if the teal, the actual colour of teal, you know, like you go to the Dulux Paint Centre, it's at a situation where those jumpers have to fit those designs, trademarks and sizes. Even the logos of the sponsorship, you know, whether it's a Toyota on the Adelaide Crows or um, whether it's Emirates on Collingwood, they'd have to fit a certain size and a certain colour um, that is approved by the AFL. So there's a lot of control on that. But this current deal is Port Adelaide can sell the jumpers uh, no cap on how many they sell. It's only a one-year deal because there were two differences in the press conferences. But Port Adelaide pretty much said it's a deal we've come up with. Collingwood mirrored that. But Port Adelaide's had a little bit more. We'll discuss this going forward. So my understanding is a heap of goodwill. Hmm. And now I'm a little bit sceptical only because of this, but I've had it reinforced by someone in the know at Port Adelaide, um, is the fact that there is a heap of goodwill. And and then for me, it is a sign that Eddie Maguire, and we know he hasn't been at Collingwood for now, what, 12 months, but this proves to me that Collingwood Football Club is moving in a different direction to what Eddie once thought. And let's face it, that happens with everyone. That happens the same that any other president in the past. Um, Peggy O'Neill, who's at Richmond, is moving on, um, or has moved on, and now there's a new person in the chair. And this shows to me that Jeff Brown's putting his imprint in Craig Kelly. And probably for these guys, it's, it's not a big die-on-the-hill moment for them. Yeah. So Port can sell the jumper. My understanding is that 450 jumpers were sold in less than an hour last Saturday. They got swooped up. For fans who were pretty much annoyed because they hadn't checked their email and missed the opportunity, my understanding is there is another round about 1,500 that will lob at Alberton um, on Saturday morning. 
for people to sell. It's almost like the old big day out tickets, mate, Monty. We're going back to the day of bass ticketing, right, yeah. in South Australia or Ticket Tech in Melbourne where you didn't have a phone app, you had to sleep out. My understanding that could actually happen this weekend um, because their supplier is based in Italy, and that's Macron, who does the Guernseys and sponsorship for Port Adelaide from that um, uh, merchandise sense. There's no limit on Guernsey sales, but really there is just because they're, not, they're going to be in short supply. Well, that's the thing. Like I'm hearing there's about 1,500. Don't quote me the exact number, but it's between one and 2,000. So I've said about 1,500 that will land. But Macron normally need between six, six months to run a cycle. You know, they've got numerous soccer clubs in Europe. Port Adelaide's their own AFL uh, um, uh, retail yep. uh, club that they use. So there's that, that chance for Port, port fans to get down to Alberton and only go through Port's gear shop, which is smart business, keeping the money inside the club. Um, so that, that that is this Saturday. No money has changed hands. So Collingwood aren't getting a cut or a slice of this. Port Adelaide can make what they want from it. Um, the only commercial side I've seen from this that involves Collingwood is that Port Adelaide's putting on buses. My understanding is depart, depend, depending on demand, those buses will be increased. For example, if there's two buses booked to go to the round two clash where Port Adelaide plays Collingwood at their home of footy for Melbourne, the MCG, um, if they need more, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty, those will be put on. So this is pretty much a free marketing association yeah. uh, where Port are saying to their fans, hey, for all those fans that want to go to Melbourne or want to go to a game this year, how about you look at Collingwood on the Saturday at the MCG, come and support Collingwood because they've helped us um, fulfill this obligation. And if there's a few fans that pick this up, then there's more likely that this prison bar or wharf jumper will continue to be worn in home showdowns only that Port Adelaide host um, for hopefully the 2024 season as well as only in a few weeks' time. Collingwood just want bums on seats in return. Yeah, they want bums on seats because let's face it, probably as good a game as you'll get between Port and Collingwood in a 100,000-seat stadium, they'd probably get between 40 and 45 max, maybe 50 max. But imagine if you've got an extra two or 3,000 Port fans travelling over um, and, and you know what? When you feel like you're getting a decent deal and you're going to go to Melbourne anyway, you, you don't pick the games against the lesser clubs. You pick the games at the G against the big clubs. And, and there's no bigger club in Collingwood when they're up and uh, in the comp when they're up and going than Collingwood. So for me, who'd be looking to do this? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to take the kids to the MCG. And you know, you either you drive over, you fly over, you jump on a bus, you go there, you buy the tickets. That's what Collingwood want. The commercial aspect is. For the Treadray family, that's seven people. They want seven tickets. They want seven lockers of buckets of chips, and they want seven people to come and support and go to the, add to the Victorian economy. And for me, this is a big one. It's new leaders. It's new Collingwood leaders, and it's showing a post-COVID collaborative approach to the AFL as opposed to the doggy dog shoot each other, blow each other up, which was probably pre-COVID. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a completely different approach to what we're used to from Collingwood, and in particular. Eddie, I mean, is that, you know, that, that classic um, over-the-top character, almost a caricature type of president who beats the chest and flaps about and, and draws attention to their club, sometimes for all the wrong reasons? Is that, is that a thing of the past now? Uh, are these the, the new breed of uh, AFL execs coming in much more commercially focused, much more cooler and... Um, and, and kind of less about the squawking, I guess. Well, I think probably you took at the two clubs. I think the answer is probably yes. 
But I don't think Port Adelaide's done themselves too many favours in this situation. You know, David Kosh has probably been as yeah, combative and childish and yeah. you know, uh, argumentative or you know, to get a deal done. And they're coming from the position of weakness too, Port Adelaide in this situation, because Eddie pretty much held the cards with the AFL. Um, but I think for all of that, it, it looked like a really big fight and a hill to die on that was really like, do Collingwood care? Hmm. Apart from some people who just go, Collingwood, the club thinks it's right and I believe it. You know, and there's Porter, every club's got theirs. You know, rose coloured glasses fans. But yeah. does the Collingwood Fair really give a stuff if Port wear their traditional historical jumper they wore for 100 years in the sample in a game versus Adelaide, based in Adelaide, at their home showdown, not even their away showdown, once a year. They couldn't give a stuff, really. No. no. You know I mean? They couldn't give a stuff, but if it gets more Port fans to the game at the MCG and their club makes some money out of that, that's a bonus anyway. Yeah. You know, so I think the, the days of blowing each other up, I think COVID has taught us that you know, the game could have gone bankrupt. Um, businesses have gone bankrupt. People have lost jobs. Yep. People have got crook. Yep. <laughs> There's more to this shooting each other in the foot for a jumper that really your club's not involved in. Hey, absolutely, if Collingwood are worried or are going to wear it at a Port Adelaide game. But you know, I was part of a team right back in 2002 that changed their colours for a home game on a Friday night versus Collingwood because we wore our practice game because the club made, I think, 200 or $250,000 because M&M sponsored Port Adelaide for a night because they launched a new teal-coloured chocolate M&M. Like, you got more commercial than that back in the day. And, yeah, Collingwood were happy with that because they got to wear their traditional black and white strip against Port Adelaide at Port Adelaide. But I think the game has matured a hell of a lot more than it needs to, uh, than it needed to, to be honest, in that time. Yeah, and I think my, my point on Eddie as well is that, um, as you mentioned, Koshi isn't too dissimilar to that type of personality. The the big, brash, headline-grabbing, attention-seeking somewhat. Jeff Kennett. Jeff Kennett, you know, I don't know. It feels like that this is a bit of a, a transition point where the, the new breed at Collingwood have almost taken the higher ground and, and it may actually set a, a bit of a new precedent for, for how clubs deal with each other going forward in that, hey, like, let's we, – we get the bigger picture – we we need to not only look after ourselves, but look after the collective for the for the game to thrive. So so let's just stop being stupid. Yeah, I think that's true, and I also think too that yeah, from Port's perspective, it meant so much to them. They weren't just going to go away. The question was going to continue to be asked until you just you know, it, it's not like they're trying to wear it twenty three rounds of the year. Mm. You know, obviously we gather round now, but they're not even trying to wear it twice a year. They wear it once as a tribute. I think yeah, that that's smart. You know, I think it's smart. Yeah, I'm Port Adelaide. I've probably got Port rose-coloured glasses a little bit on with this one because I played in that jumper in 1996, the, the last premiership Port won in that jumper before they entered the AFL. But I also think it's not much to give up. If I thought it was ridiculous, I'm happy to call out my own club. But I think this is also, a, they talk about that post-COVID collaborative approach to the game, uh, less dog-eat-dog -dog attitude. Uh, my understanding is all, all AFL presidents subject to uh, federal government approval from... Uh, building a stadium in Tasmania, they're happy for the licence to go ahead. I'm not sure that would have happened pre-COVID because they would have, all the talk pre-COVID was, oh, we're hemorrhaging money to Greater Western Sydney and Gold Coast or a black hole and St Kilda needs more money, we need to locate someone. No one wanted to give an inch. Now they're actually realising, hey, we've got a record TV rights here. People are 
Uh, the game's in reasonably good health compared to a lot of businesses in the world. And, you know, that's actually, you know, we're also custodians of this game. Mm. I think that's the, the important thing not to, to forget. I mean, you, you touched on your history. Uh, obviously, you, you have a, a deeper connection to the Guernsey, gosh, almost more than anyone. Why, why does it matter so much? I mean, there may be the, uh, the people who don't have the port connection who may look at it and go, geez, it's just a jumper, guys. Like, let's everyone just chill. Why does it matter so much? Why would guys, why would fans sleep out to get their hands on it? Well, I think it's just tradition and it's, I think my only way of explaining professional sport is it's tribal. It's tribal. Like, if you're a Crows fan, I respect that you're a Crows fan and I love that you support your club through thick and thin, but I don't get it, right? Collingwood fan, don't really quite get it. I sort of get it. My dad played at Collingwood and I get that it's similar to Port, so maybe I can understand it that way. Fremantle, haven't won a flag, but there's Fremantle one-eyed fans. Why? Because it represents something in them. For me, it was Port Adelaide. I grew up in the West Torrens zone. I went to St. Michael's in Adelaide, which is in the western suburbs of Adelaide, in the Eagles zone. But I went to Port because my dad played at Port and I was father-son. And I, for some reason, identified with that club. Yep, family one, colours two, what they stand for, working class, hardworking, never giving an inch. For me, that was my bit. And for me, whether it's Paris Saint-Germain or Arsenal or... You know, Green Bay Packers, there is something that you identify in the DNA of that club that resonates with you, and that's, for me, why it's tribal. And that's why people hang over the fence and probably behave a little bit very different to what they would in their normal nine-to-five job or their, their weekday is because there's something that they connect to this club. And that's why we see in professional sport, it plays off the back of that emotion. It plays off the back of... You need your membership. Oh, yeah, well, look, I'm going to finish bottom. Oh, but I need to support them because the good times are going to come and I want to be a part of the good times. It's that connection that, you know, we don't talk about our BHP shares like that. Yeah, We just want to make money. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no real connection other than yeah. we want to make money. And for footy, we want wins. That's, that's the commercial dollar in that. We want to win and we want to play finals. And if we lose, we want to go down fighting because yeah. that represents me and it represents our club and that's who we are. And the Guernsey... There's no better way to show that visually than wearing the Guernsey, and I think yep. I think that's what Absolutely. it comes back to. It's uh, the Guernsey is the visual repre- representation of the identity that really goes so deep. Yeah, that's the association. When I was a kid, it was the duffel coat, the big long duffel coat with extra badges stitched onto it, a number on the back. I never actually had a, an older version. I had one as a kid, but never grew up. But then it was always a scarf around the neck. And when if you after a win, you're driving home, you put the scarf out the back window. You push, wind the window up for kids. Yeah, that's what windows used to look like, not like the electric ones now. But you used to wind the window up that tight that the scarf would just be flapping because Port had won or, you know, Eagles had won or, you know, the same thing happened in Melbourne. The Bombers had won. That was the association. But now it's the jumper. Yeah. You know, people wear, people wear, some can wear suits to a game. And then they've, I've seen a Port Adelaide suit to a function or a Port Adelaide person in a full dressed Hugo Boss or whatever suit, really nice suit, Peter Jackson suit, but they've got a jumper underneath. That's just footy. And, and no matter if you're in the cheap seats or the expensive seats, people are wearing the same thing. It doesn't matter because that's an association. Yeah. Now, I mean, you touched on the AFL's role. Uh, part of Eddie's rant, and, you know, he's come out, even though he's not present, he's, of course he's come out and said his piece because he, he can't help himself on this topic for whatever reason. You know, he claims that the AFL is not protecting 
uh, copyright, not protecting club IP, disempowering the clubs, all of those things. I mean, where do you, where do you sit on that? Oh, I think they are, if we're completely fair. And I know Eddie's going to protect his patch. I get that bit. But he's the only team that hasn't worn an away strip. He says he's worn, they're wearing an away strip because they've got thicker white. They don't have a class uniform. They have thicker white um, vertical um, stripes as opposed to black. Yeah, you know I mean, let's be honest. If the AFL was like the EPL and they actually grew a set, they'd go, Man, if Manchester United can wear red at home and then black and blue and green or not green but red, all the other colours, white, yellow, then I think everyone can. So I think if the AFL was serious, I think they've got more foot in the, in the heritage camp than they have it, than any other comp I've seen. You know what I mean? Like if mm. Arsenal, who are red, wear blue and white and green and pink and whatever, then what? every club in the AFL should be able to do that. But there's a reluctance to pick the fight with the big clubs too. So I think if anything, there's a frustration from the smaller clubs that they're all the ones that have to change the colours um, as opposed to the bigger clubs. And, and I've seen it. I've seen it from day dot. Yeah, I'm an Adelaide boy and I live out of Victoria, but I, I, I think I see a, a big business, a big Melbourne club bias, um, that it's only until those presidents like David or, you know, uh, or a big one comes to support North Melbourne. Um, and, you know, when everyone tried to push him to the Gold Coast, there was some big supporters. And I think Frank Costa was one, the late Frank Costa, who was the Geelong president at the time, James Brayshaw came out and said when he was North Melbourne president, there was no bigger person that supported us staying in Melbourne, being North Melbourne Football Club, than Frank Costa, who was the Geelong president. So I think the collaborative approach um, is really, I think it's it's growing. I think the AFL need to start, and they continue to govern with Gil, who's a South Australian at heart, but been in Victoria a long time. But I think we need this collaborative approach. It's not about the big Melbourne clubs. It's about everyone. And you know, it's got to be for the betterment of the game. And that's why Tasmania has to happen. Mm. And I'd love to say it, and it's well before it's ready. I'd love to see um, Northern Territory have a team too. The, the logistics and mechanics of how that's going to work, I don't know. But imagine if you had an extra game and you're a fully national competition, then, then there's no way rugby league's getting near AFL. I mean, I just I don't want to harp on Eddie's stuff, but you know, it just kind of brings up some interesting points. Um, one that was particularly relevant to you was he claimed that the that Port didn't even want the prison bars back in the early days. Yeah, we said Port Adelaide was trying to move away from um, uh, black and white to go more teal to appeal to, to women. Well, that, that might be correct, but that wasn't why Port Adelaide wanted to play that Friday night game against Collingwood because mm. there was 250 or 200 grand on the line to, to play your playing jumper. It got rid of the clash issue, which Collingwood was big on, the AFL was big on, and Port Adelaide loaded up with what, almost quarter of a million dollars from promoting uh, a new coloured M&M. So there's, yeah. there's a lot of stories that come out about all this sort of stuff, but also too on Eddie, I'm not going to say that, but clearly from what he said on his podcast and what's been reported, um, I reckon it's on uh, Fox Footy or the, yeah, Fox Sports. Uh, yeah, Fox Sports is that clearly, you know, when your own team has moved on from your ideals yeah, it's probably a frustration because he's been fighting this for fifteen years. Yeah, and all of a sudden, it looks like um, common sense has prevailed. They've taken the heat out of it. No longer is Port antagonising Collingwood, and more no longer is Collingwood not locking the door on Port because Port's beat them off. So it looks like finally people have sat down and grown up and 
for filling a 2007 signed on heritage round, even though the heritage round's gone. Well, the heritage round says you can wear it once a year. And hopefully if my old club behaves and doesn't do anything stupid and it's well received, maybe Collingwood would go, hey, let's make this an annual thing. Yeah. And maybe maybe we make the, the Collingwood clash. I don't know. You can get to it. it. It is a fixture, remember? It's not a draw. Maybe it's a fixture that Port Adelaide, who never really gets to play at the MCG, plays Collingwood every year. I don't know if it goes that deep, but it might be that there's two games a year um, where you, if there's two games a year, one will be played in Adelaide. But if there's only one game, maybe that turns out to be Collingwood every year. I don't know. Yeah. Don't know. But just some ideas to look at if it's really that important to you. Club identities are super interesting, though. Um, and, and, you know, even as you, as you talk about uh, where, where Port sat supposedly in terms of, you know, initially distancing themselves from the prison bars and, 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 and what have you, I do remember that Port did go through a bit of an identity crisis where they tried to distance themselves from that history and tried to, you know, create a new brand under the power and, and all of that stuff. Um, do you recall kind of the background on that? And, um, and maybe just speak to, to that in terms of the evolution of thinking and, and kind of how, how clubs really try and map out this whole identity landscape. Yeah, well, I do remember, and that's where part of the comments that he talks about are correct um, from my understanding too, because I, I grew up in that competition of being Port Magpies black and white in the sample, knew that they, to get in the AFL, there had to be another colour attached. They added teal. They went to the power instead of the Magpies. Still the Port Adelaide Football Club, which historically, the way it's written legally, entered the AFL when the Port Adelaide Magpies with the old Guernsey State uh, Port Adelaide Magpies Football Club was created to stay in the sample with the old Guernsey. So it was mismatched, mixed up anyway. Hmm. Um, but reality says the teal discussion and going away from it their roots a little bit was to grow the business. But the biggest thing that held the business back, I felt, is that you still had a team in the Sanford or a team in the AFL who were competing against each other for the traditions. But then Port Adelaide was also um, competing with Adelaide Football Club, which was established seven years earlier and had two premiership successes in Port's first two years for the commercial dollar for the next kid supporter. So it was a challenge. They did try and broaden what they were about and where they were. But I think once the two licences came together back again under the one club banner, whereas effectively now Port Adelaide Magpies is not what it was. It's a reserves team from the AFL competition, but still wearing the old jumper. Now the clubs are aligned under the same CEO, same president, same program. Now with the women's program attached, I think the alignment is better for the football club, but because they were dictated they had to keep a team in the sample and be totally separate, it sort of fractured the supporter base too. So... There were decisions made in that time that I don't know what would have been better to decide. I was a player at that time. They were trying to keep, you know, be as commercially uh, viable as possible mm. and keep the business flourishing in the competitive national market to a stage that, you know, under Matthew Primus, the situation um, effectively had the least amount of AFL funding possible and the club was really struggling almost bankrupt when it was owned by the Sandfall. To then now, what was released a few weeks ago, we covered on the big deal. I think Port Adelaide is in the top quarter um, of distribution in the AFL with about eight million bucks. Well, I can tell you, it was nowhere near that when Port Adelaide was nearly bankrupt. So it just tells you how things were 
Mm. were governed and also too the AFL is never going to distribute that much money to Adelaide and Port when they're owned by the Sandfall not by the AFL so there's been a lot of mismatches and you know for a lot of clubs that can sit there and say these teams are struggling well there was a lot of huge amount of politics there was ownership issues there was about financial issues there was about return on stadium was my understanding from the info I saw and it could be wrong but in that time that there was 16 team comp Port Adelaide and Adelaide, per person that rocked up the footy, they got the worst share of anyone in the comp. So, um, yeah, that that's all the the amazing history of South Australian footy. And if someone wrote that, it'd be a bloody interesting read. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And while you know what we're talking about can sound a bit niche and a bit South Australian, I think the um, I think the the jersey issue taps into a much bigger. Uh, piece of the commercial pie for sporting clubs, particularly when you start looking at a at a global level. I mean, we talked about how the you know the the jersey or the Guernsey is the is really the visual representation of the identity uh, that of that that tribal following these days. What are some of the the numbers? What's the business behind jerseys and sporting clubs on a on a global level, traders? Oh, it's huge. Um, I go back to when David Beckham had a boot kicked into his eye accidentally by Alex Ferguson not long after he joins Real Madrid. I think Real Madrid, by memory, paid about paid about £34 million for him at that time. And that was like massive money. And he was the biggest name in the game, Beckham. You know, married to Posh, who was a Spice Girl. He had the Adidas deal. He had the new haircuts every time from long mops to mohawks to skinheads, anything he sold, you know, I think he had Samsung flip phone or razor phone that he'd do. He was a commercial monster. My understanding within three months, even though there's a revenue share between Real Madrid and the player for image rights, 50-50, his jersey sales paid for itself, 33 million pounds, back to Real Madrid. So my understanding is around probably on those numbers, 66 million pounds sold in jersey sales in the first three months. Crazy. So it paid for his transfer. So everyone goes, how can you afford this player? Well, easy. Because every commercial dollar, we get 50% of his money that comes in. He got more money than it came through that situation. He got a share of jersey sales. The club paid that off super quick. Um, and that was a deal hmm. um, years gone by. So I can tell you in my time at Port, they were sponsored by Reebok at the end and Nike for the vast majority. And I was a Nike athlete. Nike would make a jersey, whatever cost that was, sell it to a club say for 40 bucks and then the club would put their money onto it to sell it retail, probably say now, just say for the figure, 100 bucks it was back then. So that's 60 bucks profit every jump a year club sold to a stage where certain clubs would go away from um, sportswear giants of Adidas and Feeler who came in and Nike and Slazenger and all these different brands that go around, uh, Asics now, they'd actually go to China and make them up themselves. So they might make them for 10 bucks, still sell them. Even though the quality wasn't Nike Dry Fit or Adidas Stretch or whatever the latest thing is for that same hundred bucks, and they make greater profits, it also now's probably done a bit of a U-turn where they come back to more performance-based stuff where they're making them pretty cheap. The amount of turnover, uh, there might not be as much gap in terms of the per jersey sales, but the clubs are better at rebranding, reselling the next year. That the um, you know the the Nikes of the world mm. might not be taking as much cut per jumper, but they'll get more money because the clubs are turning over more. Yep. And I think there'll be a time too 
where whilst we're pre- pretty much traditional, the jumper stays the same every year, apart from the sponsors change every couple of years, um, your sales would be better following the EPL model, whereas there's a traditional Manchester United jumper that's red. But every year or two years, it changes slightly. So the traditional one has never been the same. So they keep going back for yesteryear. So even though I can't wear a jumper for three years because the sponsors change and it's not quite style, and the latest fan, I don't care what happens, and we talked about it before in terms of being tribal, I want what that person's wearing. I want the latest one. I'll buy that. And that's where the business, the, the jumper business is astronomical in Europe because they slightly change the jumper. The away jumper colors change all the time for every big soccer club. Whereas here, we'll change and we'll do an indigenous round jumper or the away jumper or slightly different, but the home jumper pretty much stays the same. So I think if you get to a stage where you start tinkering with your home jumper, the clubs will realize you can't play the traditional, oh, this is our tradition jumper when you want to change it. So they've caught in an interesting dynamic of money now, whereas, yeah, and the cap is, you know, Manchester United, Arsenal, Real Madrid, Barcelona get sold all over the world. Footy jumpers don't. So if you want to grow the pie from a football club, you're going to have to start to change it. And you want to change the mentality a little bit, whereas some fans are still wearing a Port Adelaide prison bar jumper from the 80s, right? And those those will come out in a couple of weeks when they play Collingwood. But the situation is you still got people that wore it when uh, Renault was the sponsor. Mm. Well, now MG's the major sponsor, one of the major sponsors. So if you're a Port commercial person, you want your fans who are filmed to be wearing the current one. Yep. So it keeps your sponsors happy too. So um, I think the, the the evolution will certainly change um, in the game as that happens and uh, we adopt more overseas-type analogies and attitudes towards commercial um, dollars. But there's big jump money in the jumper sales, make no mistake about that. It's crazy. And even just you look at the NBA and you see how many different jerseys they wear um, throughout a season. It's full on. All these special rounds. Monty, my son's favourite player is Russell Westbrook. He calls him the GOAT. Well, let's face it, he has been absolutely everywhere. And yeah. probably the last four years has had five different teams. Yep. From the last year, he's played in three. Like, <laughs> Good luck. I'm up for a jersey sales every three months. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, and just for the context, like um, there are a lot of fingers in the jersey pie. As you've said, you yeah. know, obviously there's a the manufacturer, there's the clubs, the players get a piece, um, you know, particularly at the the high level in the NBA and the EPL and, you know, looking at the numbers in the Premier League, the clubs typically make about 7.5, 8% commission per sale. Um, from what we understand, it can, depending on the deal, so clubs structure their own deals, but it can get up to about 15% at best. So probably not a, it doesn't seem like a huge amount, but when you're at the scale of like the, the biggest uh, jersey seller in the world, Bayern Munich, Germany, selling what 3.25 million units, uh, it's not too bad. And players also are now as part of EPL, you know, they said, oh yeah, Mbappe's on 500 million pounds a week. Part of that is his salary, but then on top of that at times, or it could his could be included, I'm sure, is a commercial rights situation that I touched on with Beckham before. So a lot of clubs just want to play a, fat, a, a, a flat salary, but the bigger names are going, yeah, 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 I'll have that flat salary, but then I want 50% of my jersey sales because people want my number and my name on the back of it. And yep. that that's where it's it's tightened up for, for clubs' revenue because the day gone by when they, you know, when Real Madrid got the Galapagos, 
um, they're all a 50% share of any deal. So if Beckham then jumped ship and went, which he didn't, but he was an Adidas athlete, went to Nike on a new bumper deal, Real Madrid would get half of that money. Whereas a lot of the people are saying now, the big names are going, no, no, no. I've got my own deals, right? If you help me sign a deal, I'll give you half, but I'm not giving you half. And I also want half of the money that you used to keep 100% of, and that's the jerseys house. Hmm. Big bucks, huge money. It is. So, I mean, all that to say, I mean, as we come full circle and we, you know, we talked about uh, Eddie whinging and crying. Uh, we talked about kind of the issue to do with the prison bars and Collingwood protecting their patch and so forth. I can absolutely understand why it is so important for a club to protect their IP, particularly when you look at the dollars uh, and also the immeasurable stuff. There's an immeasurable aspect of a club brand that is hard to quantify from a dollars perspective, but it's huge. So, I mean, you, you do have to empathize with clubs when they go, hey, no, no, we need to draw a line in the sand here. Yeah, no, I agree. But when you look at the, the broader Spectrum, and I know Eddie's predicting the patch for Collingwood going forward. Now he, he talks about Port. Oh, they'd want to wear it once, and then it's in twice, and then it turned to every home game. I think that's a little bit over the top because you. And I don't think anyone would do that. But sorry, take that back. Some would probably think that's a great idea. For me, I certainly don't. It's about wearing it once. But there's an element of commercial aspect to this. But this is more tribal heritage than it is about money. Um. Yeah, and, and I think everyone should be able to do that going forward. And I think by the look of this, after all the beating of the chest from all parties, all parties, not just Collingwood, absolutely all parties, um, they've taken the heat out of it and they've come to what's best for footy. And for the poor fans, it's pretty, it's pretty big. It means a lot to them. For Collingwood fans, the vast majority wouldn't give a stuff. Very strong point to finish on, Treaders. It's been great to get your insights on this one, as we said. Seems like a local issue, but it uh, becomes quite bigger once you step back and, and look at the broader spectrum from a commercial perspective. Thanks for tuning in to The Big Deal. Uh, we'll be following the business of sport, particularly the AFL, very closely this season, uh, as well as all of the other major sports at home and overseas. So make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. And make sure you join us at thebigdeal.au to get our weekly wrap of all the big deals uh, in Australia and around the world. Bye for now. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens, and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.